Hello, everyone, and welcome on into the Betting Pros Podcast. It is officially week five of the NFL season here. Monday Night Football has come and gone, and we are officially kind of a quarter way through the season now due to the, of course, 17-game schedule that I still vehemently, vehemently hate. This is my number one Festivus uh, grievance every year is with the NFL for adding this extra game. But here today... To not hear me gripe, but to actually talk about what we've seen through a quarter way of the season and what we're looking forward to this week and beyond. Of course, the Oracle himself, Matt Friedman, with me as always. And today, we've hooked a whale. It's Whale Capper himself, Drew Dinsick, <laughs> joining us. Drew, how are you doing? I'm well. I appreciate you guys having me. Week five is a fun one to kind of connect with some new voices and kind of get some more perspective because uh, the easy-ish part of the season is over. If you had good priors, you did well early in the season, and now the market is caught up. Like, if you had like some thesis that the Eagles were going to be great this year, well, guess what? Now they're five point favorites on the road to a team that was squarely in the playoff or you know, the one seed conversation last year. So, uh, you know, presumably no more betting value there. That kind of goes for a lot of sort of kind of macro thoughts against, you know, across, across the league team wise. So um, you can't really lean on having a prior that was better than the uh, market uh, at the start of the season. And you need to start now finding other actionable angles to, to suss out an edge against uh, probably the most, uh, the most liquid and most difficult market to beat in the world. And let's start out talking a little bit about that because it is a great point. I feel like a lot of people are going to default to, and even I for a second was like, wow, really? This is the easiest part of the season when we know nothing? But you make a really great point. If your priors were right, you probably had a really good first four weeks of the year. So where do you go from here? What are the things that you think people should be looking at as they try and make their new opinions here with a four-game sample size? Yeah, so there were some parts of priors for every single team, even ones you had a really solid read on that you needed you know, a little bit of confirmation on. Um, and I think you have to now use the four game sample you have and start to kind of crystallize the ones where you feel like you've gotten enough, you know, you've gotten enough of a read to say sincerely that Team X's uh, you know, is is a solid defensive unit, at least through passing deep, you know, passing defenses and A plus and run defense is, is a B, therefore this is a good defense, right? So, you know, kind of going through team by team and making those sort of qualitative assessments based on what you have is is pretty important at this stage. Um, and then from there, pivoting into, um, you know, who are some teams that underperformed? Why did they underperform expectation? Are they going to ultimately grow into their prior as you kind of get through this next portion of the season? Or are they, or are they just, they are who they are and we can now kind of grade them uh, as uh, you know, not as good or or a lot better. Um, those are kind of the key decisions that I think really help inform betting for this next phase. Um, the other kind of weird thing that always manifests this time of year, and it was a week early this year, um, motivation starts to become an issue. Uh, it is pretty. I I at least look at some of the um, sort of the standout sides that performed well in week four uh and you can point to the niners last night on monday night football you can point to um you know the raiders against the uh against the broncos on sunday afternoon the raiders were facing an zero and four start every adjustment that they had in their pocket to possibly try to you know try to get themselves a win they deployed 
Uh, you know, the Broncos, on the other hand, coming in sitting two and one, even though they, you know, they clearly have some answers to, you know, some questions they need to answer themselves still like, you know, just, it wasn't quite as much, uh, intensity. It wasn't as much sharpness, wasn't quite as a motivated unit. Uh, and so they spot the Raiders a hefty lead and the Raiders put it away. Uh, and you can kind of say the same thing for Rams Niners, in my opinion, it just felt like the Niners walked into that game with a little bit of an axe to grind because they lose the NFC championship game last year. They're one and two facing a one and three start. Um, whereas the Rams were like, hey, you know, we're, we're two and one. We're, we're Super Bowl champions. You know, we, we don't need as much urgency in this spot. Uh, and I feel like really the discrepancy and in just intensity and, and what they brought to the table ended up mattering in those two games. And um, you're going to find a lot of examples of that over this next week where situational kind of just speculating on some of the qualitative parts of things ultimately are going to, you know, make for avoiding losers or finding winners. A, a number of things to say here. One, uh, I got to say, Tom, congratulations on managing not to look smug while also looking smug uh, over there because he's he's very happy. He was on the show last week talking about how guaranteed stone cold lock the Raiders were going to beat the Broncos. And uh, I was a little dubious. And Tom over there was absolutely correct. So shout out, Tom. Uh, Drew, you you mentioned a couple of things um, that uh, I have I have questions about. I want to get your thoughts on. So you mentioned earlier, you know, Eagles, Cardinals, five and a half point favorites here. And so I'm, you know, I kind of won a question of like, if we look at the the preseason market on this, the Cardinals were favored by two, two and a half points. <laughs> so, so talk about some market movement here, you know, massive, yeah. massive movement. And so, you know, one question in this is like, has this moved too far? And then it, this also gets to the, the second question about, you know, like priors and how strongly do you hold on to some of your priors? So I've been very quick. Uh, to adjust my priors for the Eagles. Like I already liked the Eagles entering the season, but I knew I would want to be quick to adjust up or down based on what we saw because, you know, a lot of sensitivity, wide range of outcomes with that team. And so I would say for them, I've adjusted very quickly upward. For the Cardinals though, I've actually been stronger on holding on to the prior of them being a solidly mediocre team that still maybe has a wide range of outcomes, but I don't know if I've seen anything to this point to make me move them drastically down. I still think of them as like, you are about average. And do so I guess multiple questions here, but what, what is it that you see that compels you to get off of your priors quickly versus sticking more strongly to the priors? I would say that each team is a snowflake. It has a specific kind of way you need to approach it. They're a little bit uh, kind of unique. Um, and, you know, certainly teams where you have uh, a bona fide quarterback that you have a role because at the end of any kind of a quantitative approach, your most significant contributing variable is going to be your quarterback rating. Even if yeah. you're doing a team rating, like the team data you've got is because of the quarterback in the offensive side. And so if you have a quarterback who you have relatively high confidence in your rating on, like a Mahomes or a Josh Allen, like they can put up a couple of weeks of stinkers and you're still going to be like, 
yeah, they're still good. Like this was the Chiefs story last year, right? You know, they were they 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 had some horrific performances in the first half of the season, and you know, people that would get up and be like, "Wow, are the Chiefs even a top ten team?" Yeah, they have Pat Mahomes. Stop. Like, just like stop. Like, they're going to be fine. Pat Mahomes, Andy Reid, bona fides, long long track record. Like, don't overthink this. Um, and so, I think experience is a huge factor in hanging on to a prior. And for your Cardinals example, because you have Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury now. You may not like either of those players <laughs> or coaches just because their style doesn't, you know, fit what you would, in, you know, would, would um, you know, choose as your first choice for how you want to build a, a roster or a staff, a coaching staff. Um, but the fact is, like, they they have won games in the NFL as a pair. They've done it. Kyler Murray is a top ten quarterback. His prior is relatively strong. Like he could slip into the teens. If you know, but it's mostly almost everything we have on Kyler Murray through this portion of his career tells you that when healthy, he's a top 10 guy. Like, don't overthink it. Um, and so I think holding on to a stronger prior for, you know, the offense for the Cardinals and just kind of expecting that they ultimately get to where you expect, you know, you had kind of lined them early in the season. That makes total sense to me. And you have other teams, though, where you have, you know, wide, wide range of outcomes is the right way to say it. Where a team like the Eagles, where you're like, are they going to take a meaningful step forward? Is Jalen Hurts going to take a meaningful step forward? A team like the Jaguars. What is Peterson plus Lawrence going to even look like? Right? Like, you know, those kind of questions, you have to be much more um, nimble in terms of making big time adjustments. Um, and I think, you know, just in general, looking for synergy between coach and quarterback is the first most important. And then second, looking at uh, sort of ancillary pieces around there. Are there other player level tweaks that are that would kind of go give you good reason to come off your prior this offensive line is playing way better this wide receiver took a huge step forward between year two and year three you know right this this running game all of a sudden isn't a problem it's adding to the offensive efficiency right like those types of smaller things i think you know you know compel me to kind of be a little bit more aggressive coming off of a prior whereas um you know any coach and quarterback combo that has a relatively long history uh i'm gonna stick to my numbers on them for maybe the whole season now one team that immediately comes to mind for me when you mentioned priors quarterbacks the uh, qu quarterbacks especially and teams that how did you rate them previously what is your experience with them and how long is how long are you going to hold on to those priors before moving on from them the team that I feel like is all of those questions wrapped into one by now is none other than the Seattle Seahawks with Geno Montana Smith <laughs> at quarterback right now. Yeah. And the synergy that he seems to have with Pete Carroll, who finally has the gunslinger aerial attack guy that he always wanted so that he can actually blow out this offense and be the passing <laughs> attack he couldn't be with Russell Wilson. <laughs> It is absolutely wild. No one could have predicted this. I was certainly all aboard the Seahawks or trash train. And then here they're third in offensive DVOA. And they, it works. It apparently is working for this team right now. But then we also like, we've seen Geno Smith before and we've seen this Seahawks team before. How soon do you move off these priors and say, hey, maybe this team is actually pretty good because now they're taking on the Saints who are another team that you very much still have to figure out because I feel like everyone's priors are blown out of the water right now. If you thought the Saints were good to start the season, yeah. there are games you can point to and say you're right. And if you thought they were bad, there are games you can point to and say, hey, I was right. 
and so these teams are coming together now. This line has moved all over the place uh, from opening four or five to going to six to back to five. You can find it at a bunch of different places around town right now. Where are you going on both of these teams, and would you even bet this game? Yeah, I'm ultimately going to have a big old bet on the Seahawks this week based on the way the market is moving. Um, it's been one-way action, Saints, so far. Best of luck to the Saints backers. A uh, lot of lot of red flags around that team and that organization and this spot in particular. Um, the Seahawks are... F- great great uh team to bring up for specifically this type of discussion because four weeks is still a small sample size but geno smith is performing at a top five level geno smith period and you brought it up there is there is synergy with what shane waldron is trying to do in terms of what he's asking you know what the 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 menu of options he is laying out there for geno smith geno smith is absolutely nailing it and you can, through four weeks, through small sample size, find plenty of examples of, you know, they had, they haven't played anyone or like, you know, like they, they are like, they look good because they, their defenses they faced are X, Y, and Z. Well, you can't really say that with Seattle. Like they've gone up against a healthy uh, Broncos defense who is good. Uh, they got, you know, a, a predictable kind of letdown against the Niners, which, you know, after a Monday night, kind of you win your Super Bowl, not a surprise. Uh, and then they were very, very live at home against the Falcons. And so the question really came last week. Well, you know, we were going to break one way or the other on the Seahawks, depending on how they looked in that game, because, you know, there were some pieces, some younger players that were really starting to step up for the Lions defensively. And if the Lions all of a sudden put it together, a solid defensive effort and won that game on defense, then you're like, OK, well, Geno Smith is only a guy I can really trust in Seattle. And this offense is still limited and same old, same old Pete Carroll's, you know, tacking into his minus EV tendencies of all that stuff might have held. Instead, it very much tacked the other way. And it was like they got whatever they wanted whenever they wanted it. It was on the road. It was not a great spot for them. And, you know, I think that is enough of a positive signal for me to at least take them much more seriously than I did going into week four. And it's a tough turnaround here because it's another road game, right? And in a completely neutral, in a vacuum, like, oh, yeah, going from Seattle to Detroit and then Seattle to New Orleans, those aren't, like, especially crazy trips, but they're not trivial. And, you know, two back-to-back road trips like that early in the season can have a negative impact on a team that's trying to come together. Um, But it's not like the Saints are in a good spot themselves. They're coming off of a trip to London. They spent the full week there. Um, in exactly the same sort of mentality, we were describing the, the Raiders effort and the Niners effort. Feel like you got that from the Saints too. Like the Saints left it all out there. They got a 95th percentile performance out of Andy Dalton. Uh, you know, Crystal Crystal Lave, you know, played his most complete game as a pro through his young career. Um, not a lot of other contributing factors. You had Mark Ingram getting the ball and, uh, you know, Latavius Murray, and they were still like you know everybody was playing their heart out in london and they were still not you know 60 yard field goal away from you know going to overtime you know the vikings i think gave you about a cc minus and they still win by three and cover the early number there so to expect that the saints can rally the troops in the same sort of way and give you as as solid a qualitative performance this week i take exception to um the defense has talented players, but they're going to be showing some wear and tear after what they went through 
this last weekend. You know, the travel is non-trivial, surely. Although going from east to west is somewhat less, um, just less troublesome in terms of body effects. So uh, maybe ultimately they're fine and this is a competitive game. But uh, if this is, you know, this is trended towards six all week, I think some of the market makers are still at five and a half-ish. Um, but I'm going to let this find its level here, hopefully at six. And I think I'm going to come in on the Seahawks at that point. Guys, football season is here. And if you want to get in on the action, we recommend heading on over to our friends at BetMGM. The king of sportsbooks is offering up the king of promotions right now. Use the promo code BETTINGPROS when you sign up for a BetMGM account today and you will get a $1,000 risk-free bet for your first bet. That's right. You get a $1,000 risk-free bet just for using the promo code BETTINGPROS when you sign up for an account with BetMGM. So get in on the action today, guys. Enjoy the football season and let's cash some tickets together. Now back to the show. A, a follow-up on this. So it's it's always interesting to see where the market movement is from preseason to now. It's also interesting, maybe informative, to see where there isn't really any movement. Uh, and we saw this line at five and a half in the preseason. And it's still, you know, right around five and a half, you know, starting to move towards six-ish, but really five and a half. And so you think about, as you mentioned, the way it feels that so much has changed and how we perceive these teams from then to now. And yet the market really hasn't changed. Uh, and so why like, why do you think that is? I mean, I, I'm just kind of looking at this and thinking that, you know, maybe there's not that much of a move from Jameis Winston to Andy Dalton. Maybe there's more volatility with Winston, but maybe there's this idea that Dalton, he looked decent in London. He gives you a, a kind of higher floor. Like you maybe have a better sense week to week of what you're getting out of Andy Dalton than Jameis Winston. Maybe that's right. Maybe that's wrong. I don't know, but that might be something that is impacting the market here. And then even as good as Seattle has looked on offense, their defense, their especially their pass defense is still, I mean, it's basically dead last in the league. If it's not last, it's bottom three for sure. And so I'm just wondering, why is it that you think, even though it feels like these teams are different than they were a month ago, our perception of them, but the number's still right where it was? Yeah, the market is propping this up to a degree because I think there were, at least I'm trying to read between the lines here a little bit, there was a very, very non-trivial professional move on Seattle last week. And some people interpreted that as, you know, mostly being cool on the Lions. Lions dealing with some pretty important injuries and people are like, oh, wow, holy, holy smokes. We get to sell on the Lions as six point favorites. Like this is too good to be true. I don't care if it's Seahawks. And so there was a pretty one way action there uh, in favor of Seattle. Now, those folks coming back right back to the window and trying to sell high on Seattle, see that feels like what's going on right now why this has been you know largely saints support there may be a little bit of people thinking saints are looking at this like their season is on the line and they're going to give 100 percent. but like i said i think they left a lot on the field in that london game so uh this could be a, a, a little bit of a uh you know even more of a letdown uh you know for that for that matter and um you know there is enough there was enough of a there was a strong enough prior that Geno Smith was not good and that a top five rating is completely unsustainable. 
that people are going to bet against that just because they're like regression is coming may not be this week may not be next week but i'm going to be there and i'm going to bet on it and i'm going to win when it comes and you know he's going up against a tougher defense in terms of pass defense this week than he did last week um and I, the way i kind of read this is i think people are trying to sell high a little bit on seattle sell high on geno smith and they're doing it because they they believe in the saints pass defense um but I don't know. I think Seattle matches up pretty well. I think their offensive line is better than people give them credit for. But I know their I know their wide receiver room is is uh, you know top half of the NFL, if not top ten. Um, so this is uh, I don't see the type of success that they've had uh, being somewhat small, you know, short short order. Like I don't think it's only going to work against the Detroit Lions of the world. It should very well work against this uh, uh, Saints defense, and uh, you know at the same time. If this was under a field goal, I'm staying well away from it, but it's out at six. So there's not a ton of value on the board this week. That one, though, does look like a good bet for me in, in my mind, at least looking at Seattle. Now, how about another game here involving a couple of really volatile quarterback situations? Maybe not so much volatile on the one side, but the quarterback himself is pretty volatile. The Jets and the Dolphins this week. Zach Wilson, it was very up and down. He looked pretty good on the first drive, then not so good for most of that game, and then flawless in the fourth quarter. And then on the other side, again, you were also playing the Steelers, who didn't have T.J. Watt. But on the other side, you've got the Dolphins now. It's going to be Teddy Bridgewater due to the scrambled eggs of uh, of Tua Tagovailoa right now. And you've got the extra rest here. You've got the Jets at home. It, what do you think about these two quarterback situations? Because I feel like Miami's offense is still going to be able to make those plays with Teddy Bridgewater, maybe not to the same level, but what would your read be on this game that's at three and a half and really has not moved from right around that three to three and a eh, two and a half in some places when it opened, but still. Yeah, I think the Dolphins are pretty clearly the right side here. Um, this is entirely a matchup based handicap for me more so than uh uh, even really trying to nail down what you have at quarterback, I guess. Although I will qualify that, um, you know, the the skill position players and the quality of offensive line play for Miami to this point in the season should make the transition from Tua to Teddy pretty seamless, um, particularly with 10 days to prepare for this. They made the decision early. We're going with Teddy week five. Mike McDaniel has done nothing but kind of confirm the high end of his preseason prior um, in terms of just the concepts he's bringing, cer certainly. Uh, maybe not other aspects of being a head coach, but in terms of the offensive vision and game planning, it's been superlative. And they have played some tough teams, and they've done well. So um, a lot of respect to the Dolphins, you know, overall. Um, you know, the, the major angle betting against the Dolphins last week was expecting their defense to be gassed after uh, such a hellacious week three. And I think ultimately that did maybe matter in the late stages of that game. But now with 10 days to get right and the fact that they have gone against Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Tua and Teddy and Tyreek Hill, like they have faced some monsters on offense. Uh, and now they get to go against the Jets. Their scheming and what they want to do, particularly with uh, kind of their uptick in, you know, an uptick in man coverage, uh, a little bit of emphasis on blitzing to generate pressure um, with the depleted O-line for the Jets and with the young quarterback in Zach Wilson, who struggled mightily against man, both last season and so far what we've seen from him this year. 
this looks like the perfect recipe for like a 27.3, 27.10 kind of win. I don't think I can get anywhere close to a fair price of three here, even though uh, Miami is on the road. The Dolphins and the, the Dolphins and the Ravens, not a ton of separation in my mind. The Dolphins and the Bengals, not a ton of separation in my mind. The Bengals were six-point favorites on the road at the Jets. The Ravens were six-point favorites on the road against the Jets. Why in the world aren't the Dolphins? I also have a flawless betting system to use here that uh, helps you determine these games. It's very simple. No good things can happen to the Jets twice in a row. So anytime you have the chance to bet against that, always count on it because the Jets will manage to take any momentum you think they have and ruin it. So I'm with you on that. Matt, what do you think? Yeah, uh, your betting system, flawless, uh, obviously. And, uh, you know, I, I have a, a question for for Drew here on a, a couple of things. So one, in this game specifically, but then two, larger picture, thinking about bets that are around the key number of three. Mm-hmm. So this game, I have it. I have it close to three. But that's also taking into account what I think might be too much of a deduction from Teddy Bridgewater, uh, from Tua to Teddy Bridgewater. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm leaning that direction of going towards Miami. Uh, and so one, like, what do you think the drop off is? If there is any drop off from Tua to Teddy. And then two, when you are around the key number three, how much of an edge do you have to see in your number in order for something to be bettable for you. So, you know, like if it's the difference between like four and four and a half, like that might not be that big. If it's the difference between three and three and a half, like that might be big enough for someone to bet, just kind of depending on the the range that you normally see in your numbers. So how do you navigate around the key number of three? Uh, I agree with you in general. The market is making too much of the downgrade from Tua to Teddy. That um. Clearly on record there, I agree with you. Um, navigating three is the that's the name of the game if you're going to bet NFL week by week. You are going to be faced with this decision 50 times this season, and you need to make your correct decision in 28 of those 50. <laughs> um, the general rule of thumb, if you're coming up with the number quantitatively, is you lay the three if you have a long tail to the favorite. You take the three if you have your most two most common expectations are home or dog, you know, a favorite or dog winning by three, right? Like there's fundamentally, if you have two teams of relative equal strength, it's taking place in in the dogs arena, uh, the stadium. Then presumably, the most common outcome is the favorite winning by three. Second most common would be the dog winning by three. And if your numbers back that up, if you're kind of simulating how you think a game will go uh, and you're seeing that, then taking the plus three or, you know, taking the money line completely reasonable approaches. Um, A game like this, I do see a long tail to the Dolphins winning with margin. Um, And a ton of that kind of comes down to game state, right? Um, A three point game, two relatively evenly matched teams. You're expecting to be kind of in the balance all game trading scores. Right. Maybe one team is coming back, um, but for the most part, it's going to be, you know, pretty neutral game state the whole way. And in that situation, taking the dog plus three, if you think that's how it goes, uh, is a a slam dunk. I think this is much more likely to play to uh, Dolphins gaining a lead. And 
I say long tail to the Dolphins winning by margin because basically in any game state where you take the Jets rushing attack out of it and this becomes now, uh, you know, not unlike last week where he was successful, but this becomes Zach Wilson. You must now operate in comeback mode in must pass situations. Um, I find that the Dolphins defense has a huge advantage in that sort of setup, right? So basically any type of game state where we get to Dolphins are up by two scores in the second half of this game. I'm feeling very, very good holding a three or even a three and a half, really, because I think you're heading towards that comfortable margin victory. Um, the, uh, the, you know, the a team with a more experienced quarterback with, um, you know, a, a better offensive line, uh, a better run defense. Now yes. I'm now I'm thinking, OK, comeback mode is real. Um, this team's going to be able to come in the back door. They're going to be able to close this margin. And uh, I think that wipes out some of the long tail favorite winning by margin. So um, for me, a lot of kind of choosing what to do around three beyond just price, which is obviously kind of number one, um, is sort of trying to facilitate what does the distribution of outcomes look like? Is there a tail either way? Uh, or are we talking about a true 50-50 type of game where it makes sense to just kind of grab some of the value of the second most likely outcome being dog wins by three. Now talking about another big quarterback disparity here, the chief, uh, not the chiefs, the Buccaneers this week are taking on the Falcons. That number is currently hanging around nine. And would you say, uh, how, how would you navigate something like that kind of a large spread, especially with Tampa coming off a loss right now? And also, I don't know, maybe the recent Tom Brady news that we've heard today playing a potential factor. <laughs> I think that news is old news from <laughs> everything that I kind of read between the lines there. Uh, you know, we have we have friends in Costa Rica who are like, it's a long, long, long story, but I think that, that this has been in the works for quite a while. So would be surprised if Tom Brady's personal life impacts his performance on Sunday. Um, but the matchup against the Falcons is an interesting one for a lot of reasons because the Falcons offense is very unique. Um, and they're now matching up against a Tampa defense that um, is 90th percentile in the NFL, if not 99th, and really only have issues with them going up against what they went up against on Sunday, which was an elite quarterback and on a good day, right? Um, there's a tendency for Todd Bowles to tack into being very aggressive at all costs. And if you, if he's not getting home, if he's not affecting the quarterback's performance by the pressure he's generating by being aggressive, then they can get carved. Uh, I would expect that Mariota carving them is low likelihood. Um, in which case, basically, the way that their roster defensively should keep the Falcons into a relatively low total. Falcons run the ball a heck of a lot. They, they're a, you know they're uh, a, a little bit on the slower side in terms of team. They're now without Cordero Patterson, who has been sort of one of their surprise positives for the whole season. Um, don't know what they're doing with London and Pitts in terms of deployment in the passing game. Um, and so all of a sudden, this... I, First glance is how are the Falcons going to score? Um, the flip side of the coin, Tampa is getting healthier surely, but they still have big issues with that offensive line. Offensive line is getting beat regularly. Um, and, uh, you know, so for those 
you know, for anything material to develop down the field or for anything to get going on the ground, you're asking for a huge improvement in a week, in a one week sample. Um, so, you know, I think in a vacuum, this under looks extremely appealing. Um, actually, I'm sorry. I played this under, <laughs> I like under 48 here a lot. <laughs> um, I don't think I could get involved with laying the points because it's just an awful lot of points to lay. You're going to need some turnovers. You're going to need, um, something to spark offensively for Tampa. And I think, you know, both offensively and defensively is the market correctly rating the Falcons. I'd say they're a little light on both. So uh, not a unit that I'm like dying to go to war with surely. Um, but um, right now market has the Falcons at about 19th offensively on its 17th Falcons 30th defensively. Uh, I'm about 26th. So a little bit higher on the Falcons than the market. Um, and, uh, I think it's still way too early to keep the, uh, Buccaneers offense in some sort of rarefied air where they're going to get to 30 points in this one. Guys, real quick. I want to talk to you about sleeper. Sleeper is the fastest growing fantasy platform today with millions of players. You probably already have a fantasy league on there. My friends and I changed over this year and I absolutely love it. It's a game-changing product unlike anything else in the industry. And now you can win on Sleeper by playing their new over-under game. It's super simple. First, in any sport, choose two or more players that you like and pick the over-under. For example, rushing yards in a football game or number of points in a basketball game. Then, choose the amount of money you want to enter into the contest. If you pick correctly, you can win anywhere from two times to over 20 times the money you put in. The main reason I'm excited about Over Under on Sleeper is that it's the only app where I can join my friends' contests and play together. It's got a built-in group chat where I can see and copy my group's picks with the tap of a button, along with Over Under integrated into the fantasy experience itself. It's insanely fun to ride it out together, so stop what you're doing and download Sleeper now to play their new Over Under game. Have fun with your friends and make some money. Use the promo code BETTINGPROS when you sign up for a Sleeper account today and Sleeper will automatically credit your account $100 to get you started. Terms and conditions apply. See sleeper.com for details. Another team that I want to get your read on here for being a little higher or lower on right now because, well, I don't think anyone really expected it last week for the Packers to go to overtime against new rookie sensation Bailey Zappi, but... That's indeed what we got, and it made, I'm sure, plenty of Survivor contestants have to sweat it out to the bitter end. What is the deal with this Packers team? To me, I I think that it's pretty clear that no Devontae Adams means this offense is a lot less dynamic. I think that you have a chance for that to improve as the season goes on. Romeo Dobbs is already starting to come into his own as a potential target for Aaron Rodgers but they can't put up the points the same way that they could against some of these better offenses in previous years. And I'm worried about what that's going to mean for them when it comes time to play a chiefs, to play a Tampa, to play even a Rams on some days where you're going to get into a shootout and you need to be able to fire back. I'm a, I'm more worried about that than I've been in the past with the Packers. Are you higher or lower on them right now? It's another large spread this week, nine and a half with the Giants. But you want to talk about uncertainty at quarterback. We don't know who's going to be playing in that game. I'm here for Saquon in the Wildcat all game. <laughs> uh, the That would be fun. Um, I don't think they're going to do it. I think they're going to try to limit it. Daniel Jones out there. So take away his mobility and best of luck to him. Yeah. Um, Saquon Barkley matches up well against the Packers defense. This Packers defense is more difficult for me to figure out than their offense. I think their offense is solved. 
Aaron Rodgers is good enough to win a close game. We all know that. Uh, he's good enough to kind of make the plays that need to be made in a you know game-winning drive situation, uh, particularly if he's going up against a defense that's you know average or a little even a little better than average. Like that's you know he's experienced. He's got the tools in his toolbox. Surely, he does not have a ton of chemistry or trust in the wide receiver group that's out there. So he's not taking chances. Certainly not early in the game. Right? He's running a lot of vanilla stuff. But I think. In the scripted portion, particularly like what we saw against Tampa, he looked great. And I think in those spots where he knows what everybody's going to be doing because they've gone through it 10 times and, you know, when they're installing the plays um, and everybody's kind of doing their job correctly and, you know, catching the balls that are thrown, then they look functional. And I would expect that you see generally good scripted portion of an offense from the Packers as we continue to, man- you know, matriculate through the season. Um, but when the going gets tough and they face teams that are score and answer or putting pressure on them scoreboard wise, um, they are going to look bad. And I think that's basically what you saw in the Vikings game. I don't think I don't think that's the only time you're going to see that this year. There'll be other examples where you're like, God, man, where have I? Oh, yeah, this is what happened when they were playing the Vikings. Um, like, you know, a team all of a sudden, like, ball bounces against them and they're down 14. What do they do? Um, you know, that may be game over for them. Um, so it's uh, it's it's your general thesis. Great reason not to get involved in any kind of Packers futures. Um, they had trouble scoring, answering with the elite teams, even with Devontae Adams. So now they're going to all of a sudden find just awesome chemistry and do it without him. Uh, it seems like they want to be a more balanced team that runs pretty aggressively with Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. Not my not my preferred way to watch football, but if that's what they want to do and they can actually get to be good and efficient doing that, then more power to them. Um, but uh, yeah, this is a weird offense, um, but kind of again, like super soft defense. Teams are going to run on these guys. If the Giants and Saquon are kind of having a good day and they're getting the push in the run game, they're going to make this an interesting one for sure. I have a a follow-up on specifically this defense. Uh, And so I think, and you mentioned this defense kind of hard to figure out the, the Packers. I think they're the kind of team that will get better as the season goes along. I think probably both sides of the ball as you know, Aaron Rodgers has more of a connection with the wide receivers. And, you know, there are some important rookies in that defensive unit. And, you know, presumably as they get more action, that unit coalesces and they will improve there. But, I mean, I've got to say, I thought this was going to be very good defense. They are number 32 in <laughs> in DVOA allowed to number one wide receivers. That's concerning when Jair Alexander feels like the kind of guy who could shut down a number one wide receiver. But we saw what Justin Jefferson did to them in week one when they didn't really let Alexander man him up. Uh, and then Alexander now is dealing with injury issues. So he's not at his best. So, you know, if you can't stop the opposing team's number one wide receiver, that seems like a problem, especially when you're also number 32 in uh, rush success rate on the defensive side of the ball. So, I mean, I feel like this Packers team will be good at some point this season. Like you can see the path to how they improve and they have the players, but I don't know if I'm there yet. I mean, where, what do you make of this defense? And do you think it actually will improve? I guess this team, do you think this team will improve? 
I am disappointed by the defense so far. Uh, so some teams you come in with high expectations and you downgrade them after four weeks. That's kind of where I am with these guys. Um, some of it is injury related, as you mentioned. Some of it is just uh, the scheme itself has not. The, you know the uh, the scheme itself was going to rely on a lot of younger players taking meaningful steps forward, particularly in the run game, run fit part of their uh, their scheme, and it just hasn't happened. Um, the questions about their covering wide receiver ones is very real, uh, and I don't think it gets solved anytime soon. Um, they play a lot of outdoor games, obviously. They play in cold weather, have a decent home field advantage. Uh, so if I was going to lay Packers, I'm probably waiting until you know November, December, January to do it, uh, and I'm probably only doing it in Lambeau. Uh, and some of that is even even that like if they face the wrong team in that stretch who's out physicaling them and is getting whatever they want in the run game, then they could lose some of those. Um, I am right now kind of seeing the Packers as the number two in the NFC North. I think the schedule is so much easier for the Vikings and they already have the one head to head victory that they ought to be favored in that division. Um, and then, uh, you know, I think we have the, in the same way that you kind of expect Packers will get better over the balance of the season. I agree. They ought to, but I think the Vikings will too. Kevin O'Connell gets more comfortable with the system and the players that he's got and what Kirk Cousins can and can't do that offense should get more efficient. Um, and, uh, you know, I think Packers are probably ought to be priced like they're playing for a wild card spot. But the NFC is so weak, then they they probably will get one. So um, at that point, they go on the road. They face the likes of uh, the Bucks and Eagles, the Niners on the road in January. Then they're probably one and done in my mind. All right, one uh, one question here before we get to Thursday night football. Uh, so final question: When thinking about sort of how uh, how teams have changed in our estimations of them since the season started, Jacksonville. I will call anyone a liar who doesn't say that that is the team that they have adjusted the most in, in their power ratings since the season started, you know, like, like no way that, that someone was like, Oh yeah, Jacksonville. I assumed that they were going to be what we've seen so far. Like I thought that they were going to be a team that improved, but was still probably bottom five. And uh, I mean, they, at this point, I think are, if they're not average in your rankings, uh, you know, they're very close to it. Uh, I was really impressed by how they started out that game against the Eagles last week, you know, like up by two touchdowns. And I was just thinking like, oh man, like this team actually might be for real. And then reality set in, but you know, Trevor Lawrence is looking like a, a top 10 quarterback with what we've seen so far. Mm -hmm. He has uh, a competent head coach, like at a minimum, a competent head coach. That defensive line, has, I think, really flashed. They've been strong against the run. It's not like the most important thing for a defense, but it's it's something. Uh, I'm just kind of impressed by the infusion of talent that they've had there and then how they how quickly they have coalesced that into a functional organization. What do you think the actual ceiling is for this team? You're asking the wrong person because I am wearing teal colored glasses. I bet uh, Jaguars to win the Super Bowl at 155 to one for this season. Nice. <laughs> I squinted real hard and I was like, these guys look kind of like the Bengals last year. Yeah. Like, they're in a winnable division. 
They have a second-year quarterback who could take a meaningful step forward. They've made an upgrade at head coach, more than the Bengals did, you know. And so the Bengals didn't make an upgrade at all, but their coach just kind of coached a better season. Um, and yeah, so I was definitely, uh, you know, I'm I'm bullish Jags at being real. Um, and uh, you know, I was watching that Eagles game with the same sort of mindset of these guys are for real. They're going to win this game. They're going to be three and one, and people are going to have to start paying attention yeah. to them. Uh, and then the wheels fell off with all the fumbles because of the conditions and because the offensive line still has some room to grow. Um, when they go up against real deal, big boys on the D line on the other side of the football, you probably need to have a little bit of a lower ceiling for the Jags on any given day. Um, but I do think that there are plenty of positive signs to take away from the first four weeks of the season that this team is going to ultimately be in the playoff picture in the AFC this year. Um, I don't know that there's anyone else in the AFC that really fits the same mold as who the Eagles are right now that would give them a tough time in the playoffs, though. Um, a lot of lighter, kind of faster, offensive, you know, oriented teams in the AFC broadly. Um, not a lot of, uh, you know, just trench warfare maulers um so they're maybe still alive to get to the super bowl it's not crazy um we know lawrence has you know the pedigree guy won a national championship for crying out loud beat a very good team in doing so um and i think uh you know overall they've avoided the early season injury curse um which not a lot of other teams can say um so that's positive for them uh, their schedule is pretty easy because they're in the AFC South, of course. Um, and I think, again, I, I'm Team Teal here, so take this with a grain of salt. But even after losing to the Eagles and not even covering the number I had, I was like, that was a good thing. That was good. Like if they got a, you know, if they got wins against the Chargers and the Eagles back to back, real young team like that, they start reading their own clippings. They lose a little bit of focus. Maybe you know the season get they lose to the Texans the next week and things get derailed. But uh, you know, I think a tough, hard fought loss like that and a lot of learning, you know, a lot of lessons they can take away from that and take into this middle portion of the season is ultimately going to be a good thing. Um, and I would expect that uh, great things will come from this uh, Peterson-Lawrence marriage, uh, just knowing that Peterson has done it before with less and the fact that Lawrence was, by everyone who has a, an opinion that matters, a can't-miss prospect. So uh, excited for what they're building down there for sure. I really want to see a Josh Allen, Josh Allen, MVP Defensive Player of the Year split this season. <laughs> that's That's what I'm rooting for. That'd that be would cool. be pretty awesome. I'm even here sitting now, like looking at the nasty survivor slate for this week going, what else am I going to use Jacksonville with this spot? Like this feels like the spot for them. It's not crazy. Um, yeah. I haven't gotten involved betting wise in this market yet, but I see it's ticked from seven to seven and a half or juicy seven, I guess. Uh, not. Yeah not ready to say that anything positive about the Texans so far. Davis Mills is an absolute, absolutely over his head uh, and he's getting no help. Um, yeah. I think the, the Texans are getting what they want out of this season, which is a chance to evaluate all of the very young and experienced players on their roster. And I think they know they have some guys. Damian Pierce is a guy you want to, you want to keep around and give a healthy load to, 
Um, you know, Jalen Petrie is a guy that, uh, you know, you can build a defense around. Surely Stingley looks good. Um, but other than that, this is a, a, a very, a talent, a talent, a, a team devoid of talent. And, um, Jags should beat them on that alone. We will see. It's going to be interesting, but let's focus on one more game here before we let you go. Thursday night football coming up this week. The Indianapolis Colts currently dealing with a lot right now. Uh, the, the authorities are investigating them for elder abuse due to their treatment of Matt Ryan as their quarterback every week right now. But they head into Denver now as three-point dogs. No Jonathan Taylor. Uh, as much as I think Denver is not good and you've got a quarterback who possibly everybody on his team hates. And honestly, oh man, I'm still having nightmares over that sandwich commercial, but <laughs> Russell Wilson did not look bad against the Raiders. It did, that was definitely the best game that he's had so far this season. And everybody was ready to chuck Nathaniel Hackett overboard after the first two games. And I don't know, maybe he's settling into the role a little more. I'm not about to go out there and say we got the next Bill Belichick on our hands, but maybe this Denver team is now finally starting to settle down after a couple of weeks. It is a new quarterback, new offense, new coach entirely. Where are you going in this one? Three, honestly, doesn't feel like enough to me. I thought you were going to make a joke of, off, the, off the top about Matt Ryan was being investigated for stealing $60 million from the Colts between this year and next year. He is earning every penny <laughs> of that contract. <laughs> this is uh, this has gone sideways very, very quickly. Both of these experiences gone sideways very quickly. And I think, um, you know, back to sort of the priors discussion, um, a lot of folks in the betting community who I have tons of respect for because they have long-term winning records in the NFL were high on the Colts and or high on the Broncos or both. And I was hesitant to put them in sort of the rare air of the AFC just because it takes time teams time to kind of come together, the synergy, the growth, the, the comp, you know, the, 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 um, uh, you know, it, it's, it, the Brady going to Tampa and having success in year one is the exception, not the rule in these types of late quarterback arcs where you really, you know, you change a team. Um, and I don't hold either Matt Ryan or Russell Wilson in the same conversation as Brady. So it's easy to kind of be a little skeptical about how these were going to work in year one. Um, and to this point, the returns have been poor, I think, in terms of what was expected in both cases. And some of the, um, Blame, I think, goes to the coaching staff, general manager, and the quarterback in both for both sides here. Um, Indianapolis is the tougher question to answer about whether this is fixable because what used to be the strength and the core of this team in their offensive line is playing very poorly right now. And if you're not even getting enough push to get a complimentary run game, to go along with a quarterback who's aged, then you are all of a sudden a really inefficient offense. Um, and that's their reality through four weeks. Uh, and, and, but even all that said, there were moments against the Titans in that late in that first half where I was like, okay, starting to see some of the pieces come together about coaching quarterback and what they ought to be doing. Right now, it didn't ultimately land in a win. So, you know, congratulations on a little bit of growth that got you nowhere. Um, but there's some building blocks 
starting to show up there. And I think you can say the same thing for Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos uh, on that, you know, with, as you mentioned, his cleanest performance of the year so far. But it was against a really, really bad defense. Um, but maybe the Colts are a really bad defense. <laughs> I, I worry without Leonard that this, and with Gus Bradley calling the, you know, calling the shots there and really just not a ton of talent outside of Gilmore and Buckner, who's also hurt, by the way. Um, you know, that this might be a real, real weak defense that Russell Wilson gets to go up against. Um, and, uh, you know, for whatever it's worth, the Denver defense was, couldn't get off the field against, uh, uh, you know, against Josh Jacobs, who hasn't been lighting the world on fire lately. So, uh, Denver defense may be a hair overrated considering who's healthy. Um, definitely think that, yeah, I, I mean, I think that injuries to me, as I look at them, people are focusing on the fantasy side of things, which is the running backs, right? But the defensive injuries, I think, are going to matter more in this game. You've seen the total tick up from 43 to 43 and a half. Uh, I would look over or pass because I think, again, you're kind of buying low on two offenses that were expected to at least be league average. And you're selling on some defenses that are missing some important pieces. Um, I'm surprised that there has been some real Colts money that showed up, but it may be similar to what I'm seeing and that people are expecting that that offense is starting to find a little bit of form. Interesting. I'm kind of, I'm just as surprised with you on that Colts money showing up here because my first glance, especially from everything we just talked about would definitely be to lean Denver in this spot, but we going back, bringing it full circle to the beginning of the show here. This is kind of the way the Colts need to say, okay, it's either get up or shut up now. Yeah, this is their season. Uh, they didn't, they let, they, they gave you a full, full heart perform against the Chiefs at 0 and 2, first home game, trying to save their season. They got a very lucky win because of some bad special teams by the Chiefs. Um, they were lackluster last week, but almost fought their way back into that game. Uh, and I think, yeah, the, the cycle would tell you that like they can get up for this spot, um, and maybe at least get 21 points. At least that's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> uh, but, uh, there's probably a little, in, in, you know, kind of interest in fading, um, Hackett in his first Thursday night appearance. Hackett has not shown an ability to handle the head coaching and offensive coordinating duties in tandem. And, yeah. uh, you know, Thursday night football is where you tend to see that manifest most severely. But again, they're going up against a bad defense with the Colts. So I don't know. I uh, I look at this and I think, you know, OK, so a, a couple of things. And I'm going to have a, a final question here that is related to Thursday night football, but uh, kind of bigger picture. I look at this and I think, you know what, uh, my life will be happier if I don't bet this. And maybe if I don't even watch this game. You know, uh, as as sacrilegious as that might sound, not watching Thursday night football, you know, not every game needs to be watched. It, it feels like this might be in that category. Of You're going to so watch it, though. I'm yeah, you know, but I'm probably going to stay away. I will probably be staying away from from aspects of this game. But the, the question, you know, I and you mentioned Nathaniel Hackett. I look at some of the decisions that these coaches make. And, uh, you know, I have a quote unquote model. It's a spreadsheet. I don't know what I'm doing. Let's just be honest. You know, I like I'm a self-taught hack when it comes to like the things that I, I'm putting in the models and how it is that I weight things. But decision making for coaches, it is, I think, pretty hard to incorporate things like that into a model 
And so I have, you know, like a column within my spreadsheet that has like notes about like the various dumb decisions that coaches will make. And I'll try to kind of think about this. Like, is this really the team I want to back? Like, do I really want to back Nathaniel Hackett when he does this, this, and this? And so how is it if you are incorporating decision-making into your handicapping or your model, how is it that you're doing it and how much are you weighting it? How do you take all of that into account when you're thinking about what you're going to bet? Yeah, it definitely is. It definitely matters. But I also think that uh, there are enough NFL games and enough edges to find out there that making a bet solely based on some qualitative opinion of a coach, good or bad, is not enough. Right. Yeah. If um, if you have an edge on a game, if you're making a game three and a half and it's three, or if you're making it four and it's three even, and you're like, okay, I'm going to fire the favorite here, and then you look at your spreadsheet and you're like, this coach is a, you know, is a <laughs> yeah numb nuts or whatever, then you know, all of a sudden, maybe I don't make that bet, right? Or vice versa. It's like I've seen an edge on this four, and oh, by the way, I get to fade this guy that I don't like. Yeah, it's it's a little more ammo in the uh, little more ammo in the chamber. Maybe like helps you shade like what would be a quantitative edge a little bit more toward you know towards the side that you think you already um, see value on. So I think um, using it as sort of a secondary layer beyond putting together a number is the right approach. And I think there are beyond coaching, there are a lot of those sort of things, player level injuries stuff. If you're not incorporating a player level injury, you know, a play, a play, if you're not, if you're going top down, which is basically a team rating to come yeah. up to a number or a power rating, to come up with a number, you're, it's a good starting point. I would advise anyone to at least try that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, there's plenty of resources out there. How do you come up with a power number and what do you do with that? Um, but if you're ignoring the impact of certain player level stuff, right? So you see an injury report and you know that it hasn't been bet into the market yet because it's just breaking news like this player is out and you see the number move a point and you kind of do a qualitative well is he worth that much how do we figure out if he's worth that much let's look at the splits with and without let's look at you know like how he matched how did he match up his personnel packages against the defense he was up against who's his replacement is his replacement maybe better than we think than the market thinks right you know so kind of Using like a, a player level availability, a coaching decision making, you know, rubric or uh, or situational, uh, you know, factors. Using any of that sort of stuff as sort of a layer beyond however you're coming up with a fair price is is a useful way to get off of bad bets or to find good bets in my mind. Um, and uh, you know, I think once you get through enough cycles of betting using power numbers even and have just a good feel for what the market power numbers are or implied market power numbers ought to be um you know then that becomes sort of your mental model for making bets anyway and then that's effectively your just you know your decision tree is kind of firing based on that information implicitly which is where you ultimately want to get to um so i think Keeping track of it is important, though. Otherwise, you're just going to have biases based on, say, you lost a bet or won a bet because a coach did something stupid at the end of the game, or maybe he did something right and you've decided it was stupid because you lost a bet on it, right? And then the next time out, you're determined to bet against that guy. Like, uh, 
you know, you bet the Ravens money line and you're pissed at Harbaugh for not kicking the field goal, even though it was the right decision to go for the touchdown. Uh, you know, and the next time, like, well, I'm going to bet the Bengals this week because, you know, screw Harbaugh. Uh, you know, obviously that's uh, that's a bad bet. Yeah, you don't uh, you don't give the Bills the ball back down three in that situation. You just you just don't. I I'm fully in agreement with you there. But Drew, on this note, that is going to do it for us here on the Betting Pros podcast today. One more time, Drew Dinsick, uh, where can people find you and the great work you're doing, especially your Bet the Edge podcast? Yeah, so Bet the Edge podcast is available on the NBC YouTube channel, NBC Sports YouTube. I mean, we're on we're on the big boy stream now. They combined our uh, our our Bet the Edge our, our NBC Sports Edge with the main uh, NBC Sports stream, which is cool as can be. Presumably, it's going up on Peacock sometime soon as well, which will be neat. Uh, but for now, at least, uh, I tweet about it every day when it goes up. And then same with uh, the deep dive that I do with Andy. We uh, we go long form. Like if you're interested in a 15 minute uh, you know snapshot, that's bet the edge. If you want a little bit more longer form handicapping process oriented stuff, deep dive is your is your bag. But uh, those go up Sunday and Wednesday. And then all of my stuff is tweeted out via my Twitter at whale underscore capper. All right. Once again, that's whale underscore capper. If you want to follow Drew and seriously, give his stuff a listen. It is fascinating and great work. But for Matt F, the Oracle and myself, guys, that is going to do it for us here today. Tune back in on Thursday. I promise this time we're going to have Peter Jennings on to talk about the week (laughs) slate ahead. Guys, have a good one and let's cash those tickets.